The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us, our services are Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We would love for you to be our guests. We hope you consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting the donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Good morning and Happy New Year. Well, my name is Stuart and I am going to be speaking this morning. I'm really excited. One of the things that I realized is uh, I've been up here with my wife and kids, my family, for about two months. And I came from Tucson, Arizona, and I'm now in Alaska. And I would like to be able to share just a little bit, introduce myself to you guys a little more formally and tell you about my journey, how I got from Tucson all the way up to Alaska, uh, how God did that in our lives, just a little bit. I don't want to like make it too long, so, but I am going to start way back. I'm from West Virginia, and some of you were thinking, well, that can't possibly be true because you, you have teeth, and you also didn't marry your cousin, so, but it's true, but I did... I didn't spend a lot of time there. I think that may have been my saving grace. So what really happened there was uh, that, get my notes up here. What, what really happened was my parents moved to Tucson when I was about a year and a half old. So I can claim West Virginia as my home state, but I grew up in Tucson, Arizona. And that's really my, I would consider my home because that's where my family uh, really is. And went to school in Tucson and uh, in high school. Uh, I was at a larger church in Tucson, and I'd grown up in the church, and I'd grown up serving and doing all the right things outwardly. But it wasn't until I was 16 when a youth pastor challenged me to make my faith my own and not rely on what I had just grown up in uh, around my parents, but to make that decision myself. I remember going home on a Wednesday night and in my own room, just praying to God, you know, I believe in Jesus, and and I want to follow you, and I want you to come in and just change who I am. And, and that really started a process for me. There was a gentleman in the youth group, uh, older guy, um, and you know, when you're that age, everybody who's more than about three years older is old. Uh, he was like 10 years older than me, but I thought he was like ancient. And now I'm way older than he was then. But anyway, we won't go there. He started pulling me aside and just doing stuff with me. Like we would go over and you know, sit in a hot tub at his apartment and uh, we'd you know, go to watch other, other of my friends in their uh, sports games and different things, and he would come and, and see me play and do different things, and just spending time with me. And in that process, he, he started asking me you know, things about Scripture, and he would challenge me. Like, well, I would say, well, you know, God loves everybody. And he goes, really? Where does it say that? And just kind of that kind of a conversation and interaction where he was the first guy to really disciple me and challenge me to grow. And I can really go back to that point. Well, I had such a great experience in with that in my high school days that when i graduated from high school i went to the university of arizona and go go wildcats and everyone's just silent seahawks yeah see i don't even like the seahawks but if i tell you who i really like you might like run me out of the church so um dallas cowboys (laughs) tough crowd this morning all right so what this will tell you how late (laughs) This will tell you how lazy I am. In college, I had to have volunteer hours. And in my mind, instead of thinking, how can I use that effectively and go help somebody? I thought, how, how can I do this the most efficient and easy way possible with as little effort on my part? So I went to the youth pastor who I was friends with and I, at the church that I'd grown up in. And I liked my experience in high school. And I said, hey, can I volunteer in your youth group and you know, bring all of my great and awesome talent to you? And graciously, he didn't throw me out for just like being so lazy and, and I think arrogant. And he, he let me volunteer. And what I found was I fell in love with investing in kids. I fell in love with that, that whole idea of discipling other people. And that started a process. So when I graduated the University of Arizona, I decided God was telling me to move up to Colorado Springs. I knew I would eventually work with youth. I was hoping full time, like as a youth pastor, but I wasn't really ready yet to go to seminary and get that training that I, I felt I needed to do that. So I moved up because there's a lot of Christian ministries up there. I did over the phone, this was back before the internet, but over the phone I was able to um, get an apartment, which was great. It was like kind of situated between a bunch of drug dealers and the railroad track. And 
I moved into there with no job. I had nobody that I knew up in Colorado Springs, but I was able to get a temporary job with my great degree in my pocket because, meant again, I, I struggled with pride. So I've got this degree thinking, you know, I'm God's gift to Colorado Springs. My first job was a night shift temporary at Focus on the Family taping boxes together. So I was really putting my, my degree into good use. And I was kind of like, well, why God? I knew you wanted me up here, but I, I wasn't quite sure how that was fitting. Well, God used that. Eventually, I got full-time, and I was able to move up to where I was supervising the warehouse there. And that taught me a lot about dealing with volunteers and a lot about hiring and firing and, and a lot about business side of Christian ministry. And from there, I went to Dallas, Texas, to uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, and I have a master's uh, in Christian education. From there, I, was, I felt prepared and ready to go be a youth pastor. So moved back to Denver, Colorado, and I uh, really liked Colorado. It was really fun. This is before I had met my wife. So I was a youth pastor there a couple years, and I was really happy at a church um, in Denver. And my home church that I had accepted Christ in and grown up in and had a lot of my family still went there, they called and said, hey, we'd like you to consider being our high school youth pastor. And I said, I'm not interested. I really like my church here. And so they, okay, well, over the next month or two, they kept calling and saying, hey, we'd really like you to apply and, and consider it. And I kept saying, no, thank you. The senior pastor finally called uh, one Friday afternoon, and he said, hey, I know you don't, you're not interested, but would you pray about it? <laughs> what a novel idea. I think we'll pray about it. So I agreed to pray over the weekend. He said, well, call me back Monday. And I said, well, I'm going to call you back Monday and tell you no. So I prayed over it. got the deacons together from the church. We prayed. Uh, about it, like what God would have me do, and we all felt the same thing. You need to at least apply. Well, it, that led to me moving back to Tucson to be the youth pastor uh, at my home church, and it was awesome because my church challenged a church down the street to a mud bowl where we took an excavator and dug a big giant pit and filled it full of mud and water, and a bunch of kids just went crazy playing games in it, but one of the other leaders there was um, a girl that I met, and her name was Nikki, and she eventually became my wife. So I, I feel like God was really directing me um, through that part of my path, even though it was kind of all over. It seemed like I was traveling all over the place and not sure exactly what God was, was doing in all of it. Um, I was a youth pastor in Tucson for quite a while, and uh, we started having kids. And we kind of ended in Tucson at a church, her home church, the one that when, she was, when I met her, the one she was working at. She was helping the youth pastor at the time. She was an assistant. And I ended up working there. And we felt like at, after um, three and a half, four years, that the church's direction was really different than where we wanted to go, where God was calling us to go. And he was calling us to step out of that and step out of that into not sure what. I didn't have another job to go to. I was, we had a, our fourth kid. Our, we have, I have four girls, by the way, um, nine years old, seven years old, five years old, and 16 months old right now. And so we were expecting a child. So we were, it's a great time to quit a job. Um, and go into nothing. My wife's father uh, owns a roofing company, one of the biggest ones in Tucson, and he suggested, hey, you've worked for me over the years, uh, why don't you start your own specialty roofing company? So I did that in the summer in Tucson. Don't recommend it. I don't recommend roofing ever, but if you have to roof, don't do it in Tucson in the summer. Uh, it was a lot of work. That's what I've been doing for the last year, about a year and a half. So how did I get to, to Alaska? Um, well, we were, we were wanting to be back into ministry uh, full-time if possible. Um, and we weren't quite sure, but we were being very selective at this point. Because uh, you've got a family, you want to make sure it's a good fit for everybody. And so we, we were looking a little bit, but we were kind of like a little looking. And, and uh, I was roofing, and I remember being on a job where um, I was subcontracted out for this big commercial job. We'd been doing it for about three weeks. We had a crew working, and I was supervising that crew, and I was up there working, you know, we're lifting things, and I don't mind, you know, I was kind of enjoying the, the physical part of that job. And if you've ever opened a five-gallon bucket, they have that pull tab around the lid. Well, I'd lifted a bunch of stuff, set it down, and I went to open it, and I just jerked the pull tab, and I just went to my knees, so my back gave out. And I thought, in the past, I pulled my back, and not a big deal. So I took some ibuprofen and tried to continue. Within about 30 minutes, I'm just in like, you know, a ball on the roof, and I can't move. I, everything hurts. And so I, I call the guy who's over the whole job, and I'm like, hey, I'm done. I can't, you know, I did something really bad to my back. I think I'm going to have to crawl out to the truck, which I actually had to do, which was really nice at a, a really nice resort area we were dealing with, and I was crawling across the parking lot to the truck. Um, 
God, God, he, I could tell you story after story of how he likes to just play with me, but this was one of them. So anyway, he, the guy I called, he goes, hey, I need you to stay on the roof though, because if you leave, we don't make any money, and the guys that are working right now don't make any money. Can you at least stay on the roof? So, and this is like right off the bat in the day, so this is going to be eight more, or seven and a half more hours of working. And I said, yeah, I can do that. So I sat in the shade, and all I had to do was I had my phone. And so I'm watching guys work, which, you know, they're excited about. And so I'm looking on my phone, and I was looking on a ministry site that lists job openings. And we found one in Homer, Alaska. Some of you are familiar with Homer. I've never actually been to Homer, Alaska. But we, but we talked with the church. Uh, well, I, okay, so before I get there, I texted my wife this job opening for Homer, Alaska. And she, two months previous, because she knew I wanted to be in Alaska, because it's just every guy's dream. And a lot of the girls are not so much excited about it, um, is what I found. Um, some of, and some are, I'm not saying all, but it's generally kind of a one or the other. And she had said two months prior, I'm never moving to Alaska. So I had just kind of like given up on that part of my hopes and dreams of somehow being up here. Well, I sent her this thing, fully expecting that she was going to text back and say, you know, no. Well, she waited a while, and then she texts back. She goes, I think you ought to apply. And so we did. We, we sent up our thing. We talked with them for a while, and we got to the point where they were getting ready to fly us up. And at that point, we had to make a decision. And moving from where we were with family and a, a bigger city and everything, we felt like that was maybe too big of a jump um, into a new environment, a new size of city, all that stuff. We just didn't feel it was right. We both had the same feeling, uh, my wife and I. So we, we actually called them on a Tuesday and said, we're going to w- go ahead and pull out of this process. And we, had, in the meantime, had seen an ACF church opening for a discipleship pastor. And we had sent up a resume, and then it went into a black hole. Like it, we heard nothing. Well, on Tuesday, we said no to the church in Homer. On Thursday, Brian calls me and says, hey, we'd like to start talking a little bit and walk down this road with you. And that led to us coming up, and here I am. It's a weird journey. Um, and we looked at that, the back end, and I eventually had back surgery. It required me to, to go to a neurosurgeon and have surgery earlier this year. So, um, and God is awesome. So, but, well, you know that already. I'm just telling you what you already know. But it's just a weird path how God gets people to different places. And today we're going to look and talk about a journey. Um, we're going to look at Abram in a minute. But all this, um, actually, you know what, before we get going, let me, can we pray and start? Probably should bring God into the equation instead of me just telling you stories. How's that? Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this morning. I want to thank you for uh, just your incredible love for us, Lord. And I thank you uh, that through our journeys, that through the paths that you have us walk, uh, we can see you, a loving God, a caring God, a God who is not far off and uninterested, but Lord, a God who is uh, intimately aware of all of our details of our lives and the hopes and the dreams and the struggles and the, the hurts and the pains. And that you are not unconcerned and uncaring, Lord, but you are loving and you are merciful. Lord, we ask that you would join us this morning as we look into the story of Abram and we see, uh, we see how uh, you have designed us and how you've designed discipleship. We love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. There's a preacher, and his name is Andy Stanley. And some of you may have heard, uh, heard of him. He's pr- pretty well known. And he's one of my favorite. I love reading some of what he's written. Uh, I love hearing him speak. Uh, he's really challenging. He's got some really good insight. And he wrote a book uh, called The Principle of the Path. And in that book, he makes a statement. And his statement is this. Direction, not intention, determines destination. Direction, not intention, determines destination. And his point really is this. His point is, none of us starts out in life with the intent of being poor or unhealthy, or having a broken home, or not succeeding. You don't start out intending that. You intend to be wealthy, healthy, have a great job, a great family, a great marriage. You intend to do good things and to be a good person in life. But there's a difference between what we intend or hope to become and then the the steps that we take to get there. A lot of times we intend this, but yet the path we're walking is taking us over here. If you want to be wealthy, but yet you're buying $7 lattes at Starbucks every day, and you're buying cars on credit, and you're unable to live within the money that you're making, you're not on the path to wealth. You're on a different path, even though you're intending to be over there. And that's his point, is there's a path that we walk. 
So direction, not intention, determines where we end up. That's his point. And that really got me thinking about discipleship here at ACF Church. Jesus says in Matthew 18, and it's a really familiar verse for a lot of us, even if you've not been uh, around church very much, you may be familiar with this verse. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go and make disciples. And if you've experienced the love and forgiveness of God, and so you're, in a sense, a disciple of, of God, you kind of want to share that with other people. And maybe you're sitting here, and that's you, and you, and you want to, and you're doing that. Maybe you're sitting here, and you want to, and you're not quite sure what that looks like. Maybe you're, you've not experienced that yet, and that's great. You picked a great Sunday to be here to really hear, I think, God's heart in all of this. But it brings up the question, well, how do you make a disciple? He didn't put an asterisk after that phrase and say, well, these are the eight steps that you got to take to do it, or this is the program you got to like, develop in your, in your church to make it happen. He kind of leaves it open-ended and a little vague. And so the question in my mind as I read that is, well, how do you make a disciple? And then before that is, what is a disciple? Am I a disciple? And how do I know I'm a disciple? Quite simply, the word disciple here it, and, and I'm going to use a really big theological definition. It means learner. A learner. That's all disciple means here, is a learner. Someone who voluntarily follows somebody else. That's what a disciple is. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to open up to Genesis 12. And maybe it's on your phone, or you, you, there's one in the seat in front of you, or you brought it with you. It'll also be on the screen behind me. But we're just look at the story of Abram in Genesis chapter 12. And Abram eventually becomes Abraham, and God chooses to bless Abraham and makes him makes him multiply into nations. I mean, God just absolutely gives him wealth and, and offspring and, and watches out over him. And from him, he really is the first Hebrew. He's where God is picking a chosen people, and he picks Abram, later becomes Abraham, to start that process. But up to this point, we don't hear anything about Abram except for at the very end of chapter 11 where he's, his dad's mentioned and his dad dies and then you have Abram. And we pick it up here in chapter 12 and Abram is really nobody. He's in a, just a normal, normal land, worshiping their gods, doing their culture, their thing. There's nothing special. He's, he's not standing out necessarily to God as somebody. He doesn't know who God is at this point. He's not necessarily following God. He's just doing his own thing. And God says, I'm going to bless him, though. So he's doing his own thing there. He's doing pretty good. And this is what we find. It says in verse 1 of chapter 12 of Genesis. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so Abram went, as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. I'd like to tweak Andy Stanley's statement. Remember, he said, direction, not intention, determines destination. And I'd like to tweak it a little bit as we look at discipleship and this whole process. And I'd like to tweak it to where it reads, Direction and movement determines destination. Direction and movement determines destination. If we want to get somewhere, we've got to face the right direction, and then we've got to start going that way. That's all I'm really saying. And I think we'll see that this is a, a formula that, uh, that God has given us. I'm sure Ab Abram's friends were kind of looking at him like, well, what are you doing? You're 75 years old, you're established, you've got everything kind of worked out. And you're leaving? You're going to a place? And he, where are you going? I don't know. I'm, I'm going that way. God said to follow him. He didn't say which, where I was going. He said to a land that I will show you, not, not to this point that you know of. Abram had never been there, but he was still willing to go. So I'm sure his friends thought he was maybe spending a little bit too much time in the cannabis tent, but, but he still heard God, and he went. The first step in being a disciple of Jesus is to understand that a disciple of Jesus turns and faces God. A disciple of Jesus turns and faces God. 
about a week ago, a week and a half ago, I was coming from the, the area right here uh, at the church, and I had, I don't remember how many of my kids, I have four kids, and it's like sometimes I don't remember if I have two of them or four of them. Um, I still had some sanity I could think, so I probably didn't have all of my kids, uh, but we were getting on the Glen, and we were going to go down to Muldoon, and as I'm getting on, I accidentally turned down the little road to go to Palmer, and so I got on the wrong way on the Glen. And so then I'm like, well, I got to get, you know, got to go to North Eagle River, got to go across the freeway and everything. And my kids are like, well, why do we have to turn around? So we're, we're going down that way. We have to go that way uh, to get there. Why can't we just keep going this way and get there? I said, well, we got to be facing the right direction or else we're never going to get there. Um, and so they kind of got that lesson a little bit. Growing up in Tucson, one of the things that we did, we swam a lot. It's one of the ways you survive the summer is you spend a lot of time in pools. And I was actually amazed at how much people swim up here as well. Uh, but there you do it outside, and it's refreshing. And here, it's your, you know, it's, thank God it's a heated pool. But um, we played a game growing up, and maybe you did too, called Marco Polo. And this is a game where whoever's it closes their eyes, and they don't ever cheat. And <laughs> they say Marco, and then everybody else says you guys are really good at this game. And if you're it, okay, I grew up with brothers, and if they were playing, or if I had some friends over, maybe they're friends, my goal was to get them out now. And so I would, as I'm saying Marco, they're saying Polo, I'm not just trying to grab anybody who's making a noise. I'm like zeroing in on my brother. I'm going to get him first. Or maybe his friend who was making fun of me earlier or something. You know, I'm just trying to get back at people, kind of make, you know, that's my time to take it out on people. So I'm like, every time I say Marco and they say Polo, I turn and I face that direction. And I'm like a Terminator then. You know, I'm just Marco, Marco, Marco. And you're just trying to listen and just trying to go after that one voice. And in life, there are so many voices that are really vying for your attention. And some of them are really good things, like your job and your family. Uh, you got recreational activities. You got Xboxes. And, you know, which version of the Xbox do you have? And then you've got the TV and movies and relationships and God, and you have to choose who you're going to face and listen to at any one given moment. Turning and facing God means to open our ears and our heart to what God has for us. Quite simply, and I'm, I, I'm a pretty simple person, and so I like things that I can remember. So the turning and facing God part of discipleship, I like to say you got to know stuff. You got to know what God wants you to do. Otherwise, how are you supposed to do it? You got to know who God is, or how can you respond to Him? You got to know who you are, as God God uses us to to understand that. So, turning and facing God means to know stuff, and God's pre- made it already clear who He is and and a lot of what He wants from us in Scripture. He used a bunch of different authors over thousands of years who wrote as they were led by God, and we compiled it into what we now have in the 66 books of the Bible. And God can speak to you any way he wants. I'm a parent, and if you're a parent, God is going to use your children to speak to you sometimes, because sometimes they say things, like you think you're making a point, and they say something in response, and it just stops you dead in your tracks, and you realize, wow, my kid's pretty smart, (laughs) and I'm not, um, I just lost this battle. And so you, you hear that. And sometimes God can speak to you in, that, in your gut. Your, the spirit moves, and it's like, I shouldn't be where I am. I need to do something different, or I need to move out of here. Or I need to move from Tucson to Colorado Springs. Sometimes he uses a friend, someone who can come alongside and encourage you, and he wants you to know that he loves you and cares for you. And sometimes he wants to kind of, you know, a good friend will smack you in the back of the head sometimes. Like, what are you thinking? God can use all these things, but we have to keep in mind that he never contradicts himself. So we always have to go back to scripture to understand what God wants and God, how God wants us to relate to him and see him and view him. How he wants us to understand who we are before him. When a coworker wants you to lie to cover up one of their mistakes, you have a choice to make. I know I serve a God who doesn't, doesn't lie. He, he doesn't say one thing and do another. And so I can respond to him, I can turn and face and respond to that, or I can turn away and choose to do something different. When I was a kid, okay, I, said I, have two, I had two brothers growing up. One of them has since died, um, but the one who was still alive, when we were in junior high, we were fighting like crazy. And 
I was a skinny little runt. If this gives you, this was junior high, so I was really skinny. When I graduated high school, I was six foot one and I was 140 pounds. And I was drinking milkshakes and eating steak. My mom was trying to make, you know, I was like, I looked sickly. I was so tall and thin. And yeah, since not a problem. Um, you know, my New Year's resolution. But anyway, so I'm fighting with my brother. I didn't fight with him physically very often. Early on we did, but he was not a skinny little runt. And he slugged me a few times when we got in. Guys, you know, I have four girls, and it's just nothing but drama at my house. I grew up with boys, like brothers, and it was drama for like three seconds, and then it was done. And then you went, okay, let's play some more. It was just, you deal with it, and you move on. There was no grudge. There was no drama. It was just dealt with. But we moved on from the physical, and we kind of got into that, just the, the verbal, just ripping each other apart and being sarcastic and, you know, making each other hate each other. So... There was one day I can remember, I don't know what we were fighting about, because you never do. You just, just, you find yourself in it. And I re- this is how spiritual I was. I went to my room, and I remember praying to God, help me win this fight. Because <laughs> I was in the right, I always am. And then I did a, the hugely spiritual thing. I took my Bible, and I opened it up, and I was like, speak to me. Put my finger on it, you know. I opened up to Psalm 133.1, and it says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. (laughs) God was telling me, knock it off, you idiot. (laughs) He was even using my great Bible study methods to speak to me. And I got it. He flicked me in the back of the head. And I, I I was willing, I was wanting to learn, even in my arrogance there, I was wanting to learn. So I called my brother in, and I read him the verse. And it just diffused the whole argument. We were done. Like that, you couldn't argue after that. You know, what, what do you say? You know, God's telling you guys to knock it off, so I guess we have to knock it off today. We were willing to face God and hear what he had to say, even when I really didn't want to hear that. And because of that, we were able to diffuse the situation and help a relationship with my brother. So the first step in being a disciple, we've got to face God. The second thing that we need to understand to be a disciple of Jesus A disciple of Jesus moves in the right direction. Abram didn't hear God tell him, hey, I want you to uproot everything you've you've worked so hard for over your entire life. I want you to separate from your family and your friends and all that security. And you kind of know this, the area, you know know how to succeed here. And he goes, nah, nah, God, I'm good. Go find someone else. I'm happy with where I'm at. Abram didn't just hear what God had, had for him and his path in life. He had to start walking, and he left. I'm sure that he got some flack for that. Another way to think about moving in the right direction, again, I like simple. So if facing God is knowing stuff, then moving in the right direction is doing stuff. You've got to know stuff, and you've got to do stuff. We like safety and security. I think Abram liked safety and security, but yet he still responded when God said move. He moved, and he moved in the direction that God had told him to. I like knowing that we serve a God who loves other people. I like knowing that we serve a God who loves homeless, that loves the orphans. He loves the, the hurting and the, down, the, the, the downcast and, and the, the, the depressed God, I love serving a God that, that loves those people. But I don't necessarily want to go do that stuff because that means I've got to get off my couch, get in my truck, maybe drive into Anchorage to do something about it. That's a lot harder. That takes time and commitment, planning. That means I, don't, I have to give up other stuff that I want to be doing, like, you know, just sitting and watching Netflix. What would happen if a new recruit in the military shows up at boot camp and they're standing there, and there's like, you know, push-ups being done. There's guys running by. There's people yelling and screaming and spit flying. And the drill sergeant's like, hey, what are you doing? Well, I, you know, a lot of people are kinesthetic learners. I'm not one of them. I don't have to do stuff to learn it. I, I'm just going to sit over here, and, and I'm going to watch you guys. You know, I've read a lot of stuff online. You know, I've talked to some buddies that, you know, that, that were in the military. I, I know how this works. I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to develop character, pull me down, build a team. You do all these. That's really cool. I love it. But I got it. Can I talk about your philosophy of training? What would happen if a journeyman's apprentice showed up at the job site and kind of had the same attitude? Like, you know what? I watched some YouTube videos last night on how to wire this house. 
I really don't need to go do switches. You know, I get it. I've, I've done it. Not a big deal for me. I think I'm just going to sit over here. If that's all right with you, I'm going to learn. I'll, I'll just learn best by watching you do your job. Yeah, not going to go over too much. Doing stuff must accompany knowing stuff, or we've missed the point completely. And a lot of times we settle for that, that substitution of just the knowledge gained without the action or the change in my heart. The recruit has to trust his superiors that their actions and requirements are for his best interest. The journeyman's apprentice has to trust his supervisor, that he's got his best interest in mind, that he's training him for his career of his own, or else nothing can happen. And when we find out what God wants from us, we have a choice to make. We can trust God and respond to that in action, or we can do something else and walk a different path and just walk away knowing what we should do without actually doing it. When we were, got serious about moving up to Alaska, the pressure from our friends and family got greater. What are you doing? Why would you leave Tucson, which is where everybody from Alaska likes to go retire? Well, okay, California and Florida, but places where it's a little more warm and people come here to play golf and they swim in the summer, the water doesn't freeze. You're moving up to a place where, like, everybody lives in igloos and they eat snow and they, they, they have to fight off bears to get to work and the moose, oh, watch out for the moose because they'll eat you alive. What are you doing? And we had to make a choice because it, it gets real at that point. Like, we were ready to go. Like, you know, it's, we kind of look at it like, this is a really cool adventure of what God is doing, continuing on. Like, I'm just used to, like, change and God just doing weird stuff in my life. And then you get family saying, hey, what are you going to do for Christmas? And why are you taking my grandkids away from us? <laughs> my kids, I think. But we had to make a choice. It also takes not just movement for movement's sake, but it's intentional movement. The reality is, and, I, and I, if I'm going to be honest, is I wake up more days than I would like to admit and my kid is screaming, and so I'm pulling her out in the living room so my wife can get a couple more minutes of sleep, changing a diaper, going right into my other kids begging for food because, you know, it's like we haven't fed them for four months, and now we've got to feed them again today. Um, and then right from there, I get ready for work. I get in my car. I drive to work. I go through the whole day. I get done frustrated standing in line over at Fred Meyers because, you know, people are like, you know, chit-chatting. I'm like, I'm in a hurry. And... Didn't cuss them out, so I'm good. And then driving home, and I'm like, you know, road's icy. I didn't slide in a ditch. I'm, I'm happy. I get home. My kids want food again. And so then we feed them. <laughs> then it's bedtime, and then it's time to crash on the couch, pull myself off the couch, go to bed. And I get through the whole day, and you know what? I didn't think about God one time. I wasn't intentional about anything. I had a lot of movement, a lot of stuff going on, but I'm kind of just thankful I didn't cuss somebody out or run somebody off the road. But when I'm intentional and I spend time and I spend time that day facing God and saying, what do you want me to do today? Would you show me some opportunities? What do you have to talk to me about today? What I find is I'm looking on the side of the road at the, at the lady shivering as her car's stuck in a ditch thinking, I better make sure she's got a tow truck, uh, make sure she's got a blanket, no kids in the car. Maybe I'm in a McDonald's drive-thru and I see the soccer mom in the minivan behind me and there's a circus going on, you know, she's kind of this, like just, why did we have kids? Um, and, and I go, you know, maybe I'll pay for her. Maybe I need to show her some compassion and grace right now. And so I'm going to go ahead and just prepay for her, her meal. When we're intentional, things start happening. One of the things I really enjoyed about growing up um, time with my dad, uh, and it was one of the rare times that I, I was able to spend significant time with my dad, was working on cars. And his dad owned a garage. Um, my dad wasn't a mechanic, um, but he did, had the skill. He was, you know, really good at it, and it was something he enjoyed doing, and I think partly to save money so he didn't have to pay someone else to work on his vehicles, but I think he just didn't, he liked solving the problems. Well, I found that if I just went out and watched him, that I got to spend a lot of time chatting with him, and then he started showing me or asking me to help, and then showing me how to do things but there were times when he would ask me to help him do something, and I wouldn't have a clue what I was supposed to do. So I'm like standing over this car and frozen in fear because I don't want to touch something and break it because I'm not quite sure what I can not touch and touch and, you know, what's going to happen. And I can still remember my dad's words, 
do something even if it's wrong. Do something even if it's wrong. And he wasn't saying do the wrong thing. That wasn't his point at all. But what he was saying was, if you want to reach the goal of fixing this car, you got to start sometime. you got to start moving. you got to get that movement going. The momentum has to start going forward. We've got to be intentional about the things that we're doing and be willing to move forward even when we're not quite sure what that is. Abram didn't get a blueprint from God that said, hey, this is what's going to happen in the future. He just said, go, and I'm going to show you. It was kind of this vague go forward. There's a Facebook meme, and I hate that word meme. I don't know why, I just hate it. But here we are. It's a basically, I guess, a picture with some words over it that, you know, ev- evokes some emotion. Well, I saw one uh, last week or so, and it said, if it's not changing you, then it's not, cha- uh, if it's not challenging you, it's not changing you. If it's not challenging you, then it's not changing you. We like easy and comfortable. We don't like the risky and unknown and the, the scary things that take effort. But in order for us to change and to grow, it's got to be challenging. It's got to start making us uncomfortable. Not only do we have to face God, not only do we have to and, and know stuff, and not only have to make movement in the right direction, do stuff, really the last part of discipleship, we have to realize that discipleship is the journey, not a destination. Discipleship is the journey, not a destination. In one sense, there really is a destination of being like Jesus. God wants us to exhibit godly, Christ-like character. He wants us to, if we're followers of him, to exhibit his kind of love and compassion and mercy and truth to other people. So there's one sense where it is a destination. But really, discipleship is happening all the time, whether we want it to or not. Every day, all year. Last Wednesday morning, um, if, uh, maybe you, you, you don't know, I have a 1979 Jeep CJ7. And up to this point, when I was in Tucson, it was kind of parked most of the time. It was my go four-wheel driving, play for a little bit vehicle. So it didn't have to run very well decently just had to kind of keep moving well we sold my wife's car before we moved up here and so we have my truck and my jeep she's been driving my truck and i've been driving my jeep every day in the cold of alaska and it has a way of revealing all the little things you forgot to take care of or kind of like ignored you know turn the stereo up and that maybe that noise will go away so i've been over since i've been here i've been nothing but working on this poor jeep and so Wednesday morning, I go out, you know, getting ready to come in. I'm all, you know, got my nice clothes on, sit in the Jeep, start it right up. Like, yeah, it's running great. And go to shift it into gear, and it won't move. Like, it's not shifting at all. It's automatic transmission, not, not doing anything. And like, okay, what is it? So I start looking. I look over, and there's just a pool of red transmission fluid out in the driveway. And I'm, it's always leaked a little, but never that much. And it was clear. It was just kind of like spewing it out. And... At that point, you're starting to think, okay, what is, you know, so you start looking, not sure. I'm getting madder and madder, and I'm starting, you know, you start wanting to like, well, okay, I, I want start wanting to like pound the steering wheel or, you know, maybe say some things to God that I, I should probably keep to myself. And I look up, and through the window is my seven-year-old daughter, just waving, smiling. <laughs> she just wants to say, bye, Daddy. And God just pierced me to the core, and it was how you react to this and other situations is teaching your daughter something. And it stopped me from, yeah, I was still angry inside, don't get me wrong. I was still like, God, why? You know? But I decided, you know, so I'll smile back at her, and it just, it, I have to kind of roll with this punch. God was kind of te- teaching me to, you know, tone it down a notch, and let's walk through this path. Total aside, after last service, somebody came up to me and says, hey, I'm a mechanic, let me go look. I have the transmission in my truck right now. Uh, Pastor Brian, on New Year's Day, I told him, I said, yeah, it's not moving. It's clearly leaking from, like, the front of the transmission. Um, he's like, hey, bring it over. We'll, we'll take it out. And so I took it over to Pastor. He actually had to come tow it over to his house. And on New Year's Day, we sat under my Jeep, and in about an hour and a half, two hours, we had the transmission pulled out of my Jeep. So now it's sitting in my truck out in the parking lot right now. Well, somebody after first service came up and said, hey, I wanna go, I'm a mechanic. Let me look at it. Because I'm worried if it's like $30 repair or $1,500 repair. You know, I just don't know. Um, so he goes out and looks at it and, you know, plays and does whatever, you know. I'm, I'm mechanical. I'm not a mechanic. And so he does whatever he's doing. He's like, I just need a, you need a seal and a little sleeve, and you'll be fine. 
Um, so like 30 bucks. So I'm, I'm happy um, that that looks like the direction we'll be moving forward. But God provides, and it's kind of fun, this path. Uh, but I didn't know that Wednesday. I was just still upset. As a discipleship pastor here at ACF Church, I'm never going to award a certificate to anybody that says you have been discipled, that you have arrived, that you are done learning. Because we'll get, we'll, we'll hang it on our wall and our buddies will come over and we'll be able to like, be, hey, could you come help me? No, no, no. See, I'm, I'm done learning. I'm done doing stuff. I've been discipled. Because we think it's the destination, but it really is the journey. We're never done. It's always happening. It's always going to move forward. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn over to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9. It'll be on the screen as well. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9. It says, Beside this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us as we res- and for disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? And that's God. For they disciplined us a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. And that's kind of my like, no duh. I don't like discipline. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Discipline and discipleship are really the same word. As a parent, I discipline my kids, not because I want to get back at them, although sometimes I do. Not because I I, I just want to torture them a little bit. I won't say anything after that because you call CPS on me. No, you do it. Why do you discipline your kids? Because you love them and you want to see them grow. You want to change them from their attitude and their actions now into something a little more pleasant to be around that will be beneficial for them in the long run. You're looking long-term at what this kid is going to do in society later on. And so you have that obligation to train them, to direct them. With four girls at home, there's a lot of that going on. God does the same thing to us. He's directing us. He's guiding us. And we have the choice to, to make a make movements in that, to, to face him, to, to receive what he has to say and to do something about it. Or we can kind of just go, you know what, I'm, I, I really don't want to do that discipline or discipleship thing today. I don't want to learn anything. I'm, I'm kind of done right now. I'm going to face my own direction and see how that works out. And we'll see if that path leads to where I really want to go. One of the things I like to say is I like to have learned, but I really don't like the learning process so much. I read a lot. Um, And I learned to do things a lot. You know, I'm one of those, I'll watch a YouTube video, like on my transmission. I've already watched like, you know, 30 videos on different aspects of it and read articles on what people think it could be and how do you fix this and and all that. But I really, the learning process is tough and challenging. When I was in, uh, I, I know it's hard to believe, in Tucson, I actually grew up skiing. And they had a little mountain that was open for like a, a month and a half every year, maybe, if it was a good year. And you were skiing on rocks and ice and dirt. But if you could ski there, you could ski anywhere. And when I moved to Colorado, I continued skiing and loved taking youth kids up uh, some awesome places like Breckenridge and, and Keystone. And, but it, I was good at skiing. I enjoyed it. Like, it, it, I could film, you know, video camera, never thought about, I'm not going to fall. You know, it's really cool. Well, the kids wanted to snowboard. So I'm like, okay, I finally bit the bullet and like, I got a snowboard. Now we're going to learn how to snowboard. And, and I'm a little older and thinking, I didn't grow up on like skateboards or anything. So I'm not good at this whole balance thing. And I remember the first three, four times, I was absolutely hating snowboarding. My knees hurt, my hands and wrists hurt, my backside hurt, my pride hurt. It was a lot of work. But after the course of like, you know, weeks and months of just continuing on doing it and forcing myself on a board, even when I was like, "Ah, skiing would be so much easier, I started enjoying it. I got to the point where I wasn't, you know, thinking I was going to die every second of the, uh, of, the, of the day on a snowboard, where I actually started to, you know, I could control it a little bit and have some fun, and, and I enjoyed it. I like having learned it. I didn't like the process of learning that at all. And I think we're the same way when it comes to discipleship and God's direction in our life. We like to have gone through something, but we don't really like to go through the thing. I'm looking forward to when my transmission's back in my Jeep, and I can go out and move it again without having to push it. But going through it, I'm, you know, it's a lot of work pulling that out and getting it fixed and then putting it back in. The process is tough, but it's happening all the time, and God is always teaching us. I hope you can see discipleship really is a, a simple process. 
It's facing God, being receptive to what he wants us to do, how he wants us to think about him or other people or how he wants us to interact with people, and then to do it. It's easy to say, harder to do, but then we have to realize, too, that it, we're not going to get to a point where we just go, I'm done. I'm good. I'm a good guy. I'm a good lady. It's the journey. It's the waking up and your Jeep doesn't move. It's when your daughter says, hey, play dollies with me. And as a, you know, manly man, I'm like, okay. Scrolling through Facebook, and it's going to get worse. Is like you see these political posts, even from people I like, and I'm going, I just want to rip you a new one. You know, it's like, I don't like what you're saying, but will I face them with the love and grace God has faced me, or will I choose to do something different? All that is my discipleship process, the path that I'm on, and we're all on a path. One of the things when I was a youth pastor that I used to do when I had a pretty simple outline, uh, like a three-point outline, basically you need to know stuff, you need to do stuff, and discipleship's the journey. It's happening all the time. That's the outline in case you missed it this morning, Um, but the the thing I used to do was like, there's things that I would want to say that wouldn't quite fit into that, and I didn't want to like not say them, and so I just started this thing called Random Thoughts with Stu. So I have a Random Thoughts with Stu section this morning. And the first one is you don't have to be spiritually ahead of anyone else to disciple them. And that's a hard one sometimes to, to, if you start thinking about that, it's like, I'm not sure I believe that. But you don't have to be spiritually ahead of anyone to disciple them. That can help for sure. Two weeks after I got here, I got a text about nine o'clock from a guy in a church. I only knew a few people. So I was like, yay, someone knows I, knows I, they know I'm uh, alive and I exist. And he says, hey, I just, I had signed up for a roadkill moose, and I got a roadkill moose. Would you like to come over and butcher it with me? And I'm like, have no idea how to do that, but it, he's like, come on over, we'll, you know, we'll learn, okay. So I show up, and there's three other guys there, and none of us had ever butchered a moose before. <laughs> Some of us, you know, I, someone had walked me through a deer, so that's as close as I've come, and another guy had done a, a caribou on his own. This is a moose. Over the course of the next few hours, we turned that roadkill moose into ground hamburger. And we didn't know what we were doing. You know, we watched YouTube videos, and we had people telling us, you know, calling, like, well, what do we do now? And, and uh, yeah, that was an a, a eye-opening experience. But we figured it out together. We walked together through this process, and we all had the same, the same attitude. I want to learn. I want to do this right. I want to figure this out. And we could do that together because we were willing to, to accept uh, different instruction and different ways of doing it. The second thing, we need to spend time seeking what God wants from us and praying, God, please show me what you want me to do. I used to think God had put me on this, this lifelong scavenger hunt of like you find the first clue like of what God wants me to do and you read it and then he says, okay, go over here. So I run over here and I grab the next clue and and he tells me I got to go to the next one. And I'm like, when will I ever find out what God really wants me to do? But the older I, I've gotten, the more I've realized that that's not how God has designed life at all. He's actually made it pretty clear and simple. It's just me that likes to wander away and go my own path and ignore really what he wants me to do. But we need to pray that God would show us those things. We also need to pray honestly from our heart. A lot of times I, I like to pray that, just the church prayer. God, God, show me what you want me to do. And that's a good prayer, but it's not where it's my heart at. It's not where my heart's at. Sometimes my heart is, God, I, I'm hating life right now. It's tough. How come my, my 16-month-old wakes up five times a night screaming at the top of her lungs and I can't get any sleep and my wife's stressed out because she's not getting any sleep either? How come my Jeep breaks down? always because it's a jeep it's a jeep thing you wouldn't understand but i gotta tell god like where i'm at just be honest with him god i want to follow you i want to i want to find what you're teaching me in this situation and i don't see it help me to see it so how do we disciple others we kind of looked at what a disciple is how we go through that process well how do we disciple others it's really quick and i'm gonna because we're a little over i'm gonna um, go through it really quick First one is to spend time on their journey. Take time out of your life. Walk into their life. See how, see what gets them 
excited and makes them joyful, see what they're struggling with, the, the hardships they're carrying. Walk with them for a while. And while you're there, the second thing, which is just love them like crazy. Love somebody else like crazy in that. Show them God's love and his acceptance and his mercy. Be there for them. And the last one is bring them into your journey. Let them walk in your journey. When I was a youth pastor, one of the things I loved to do if I was running errands, instead of running them by myself, I would call up some kids. Hey, you want to come with me? I'm going to go to Home Depot. I'm going to go to Michael's. Yeah. Imagine like, you know, captain of the football team wanting to go to Michael's with the youth pastor. Yeah, that's weird, but they do. They get to see how I go about life, how I drive my car as I'm getting there. You know, someone cuts me off. What do, how do I react? How do I treat the person who's behind the counter who's like fumbling with coupons or whatever it is? And it's like, all those things are my opportunity to draw someone else in and show them how God is working in my life. So I draw them into my journey as well. I don't want this to sound like an advertisement this morning for ACF groups, but I do want, I'd be, I'd be kicking myself if I didn't mention this. At, at, at our church, we have what we call ACF groups, and we have three different flavors, if you will. We've got kind of social groups and growth groups and life groups, and there's a lot of overlap in those groups, but they all have a kind of a common common core, and that really is people, smaller communities, walking through life together. And it makes a huge difference as we, as we try to face God together and figure it out and want to take steps. We have that accountability and people that have or maybe walked through it before or maybe a little bit further down the road, or they can encourage you, or they can laugh at you while you're struggling, whatever it is, you have that community of people that you can go through that with. I want to encourage you that if you're not part of one of our groups, really consider whether, you, whether that would be a good thing for you this year. And I challenge you, join one and see if God doesn't start to walk with you on this path and call you to do some crazy stuff. Then you've got to make a decision. We're all on the same life journey together. And the choices that we make every day, every minute, how we respond to God, how we respond to God moving around us will determine if we're being discipled and if we're discipling others. Would you pray with me this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for this day, and I thank you for the truth in your word and the example that we see in the life of Abram, somebody who heard you speak to him, and he responded. Lord, too often, I, I either I'm too busy to hear from you, or I hear from you, and then I just decide, yeah, I don't want to do what you asked me to do. I know what I should do, but I don't want to do that. Lord, I pray that you would walk with us through this journey of ours, that you would show us the next step and that we would be bold enough to take the next step. Lord, that we would bring others along with us. Jesus told us to make disciples of everybody. We're always having the opportunity to do that, but many times we miss those opportunities. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see them. You'd help us to walk with them. Lord, I pray that if anyone here this morning and they're just struggling, they're right in the middle of, of a really hard time in their life, Lord, that you would just lift their head and encourage them this morning. That you bring people alongside them to, to love them and, and uh, be there for them. Thank you for the joy that walking with you can bring. We love you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.